If you have your Bibles with you tonight, I want to invite you to open up Revelation chapter 4. This is where we're going to at least, uh, at least begin our journey. As we've been working our way through the book of Revelation on Wednesday nights, you'll remember that uh, one of the prominent themes in the book of Revelation has been the church. Let him who has ears hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. So, The book of Revelation is broken out for us in chapter 1, verse 19. We're told, John is told, first, write the things which you have seen. That's chapter 1, right? The things he had seen, the unveiling or revealing of Jesus Christ. We have this vision of the, the Lord, the King, the return of the King, Jesus Christ, in chapter 1 of Revelation. Then we come to write the things which are. The things which are, chapter 2 and 3, seven letters, the seven churches, spanning every church throughout all of time, and specifically speaking to each individual church then and to us now. How do I know it's for us now? Because every one of those letters ended with that phrase, right? Let him who has ears, how many of us have ears? All right, let him who have ears hear what the Spirit is speaking to the churches, plural. So the Spirit speaking to all the churches throughout time through seven letters dealing with different issues that come up within the church, within the body. It's not surprising to, to see the concept of the church at Ephesus that had left their first love. It's not surprising to see compromise uh, coming into the church or immorality coming into the church and being challenged by the head of the church, which is Jesus Christ, right? That these things ought not to be. So we finish the second division of the book of Revelation. But then he's told, write the things which will take place, metatauta, after these things. After what things? The things which are. What were the things which are? Seven letters to seven churches. Church has been a prominent theme. First three chapters. You're not going to hear the word church again. We get to chapter 4, verse 1, and it begins with the phrase, just so you don't miss it, metatauta. After these things, and then he moves on to that next division of the book of Revelation. And as we look at it, we spoke a little bit about it last time. I won't get too much into it, but as we look at it, the beginning of of chapter 4, verse 1, we can see uh, something has occurred. There's a voice in heaven like that of a trumpet. And it says to John, come up here. And so John goes up into heaven. And the rest of the vision will take place from that vantage point. And we see in that this concept that the Bible lays out, that I believe the Bible teaches, of the rapture of the church. The rapture of the church, a lot of people will talk about it. We can talk about it uh, as long as you like. The word rapture is only in the Latin Bible. It's not in the English Bible. It's just a concept that we carry over. The word that is in the Greek is the word harpazo. Harpazo. We're going to look specifically at that word tonight as we go through several uh, different verses to see what this is all about. So tonight as we take a look, last time I kind of laid out for you the cultural context. You remember? I said, now look, we hear all these things, but you can't erase the cultural context out of the concept of the word that is given. So we went over the Jewish wedding, the culture of the, of the time, so that we could hear in the scripture that we're reading 
the things that they would have heard then because it was a part of their culture. So now, as we look at what the Lord has for us today, today we're going to look a little bit more at types and examples uh, that we see throughout the Old Testament and into the New Testament and hopefully help us wrap our mind a little bit more around it. And next time we'll look at the doctrine of imminency and uh, the concept of the pre-tribulational rapture. So we'll look at that next time. So let's look. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 16 through 18, is foundational scripture for what we call the rapture. It says, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, and the voice of an archangel and the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them, where? In the clouds. This is not the return where Jesus Christ sets his feet on the earth. We're going to read about that in Revelation, right? The return of the king. The whole world's clamoring for a king. We vote for one every four years. We never seem to get what we want in the concept that we have in our mind about what we're voting for. But in the reality, we have a king. And we're looking for that return of that king. And that return will happen. His feet will touch the ground at the Mount of Olives. The Mount of Olives will be split down the middle. The river will come forth from between the Mount of Olives. It's going to flow down to the Dead Sea, heal the Dead Sea. The curse is going to be lifted from the earth. We enter into a kingdom age. Incredible return of the king to earth. But that's not what we're talking about with the rapture. We'll get to that in the book of Revelation as we continue through it about chapter 19 of the book of Revelation. But we're in chapter 4. We're in chapter 4 and we have just seen literally... Literarily, is that a word? Where's, give me a better word for it. Liter, you'll let me get away with a little. Lit, I, don't even, I can't even say it again. <laughs> so, so there's a better word for it. I'll have to try to express it. So, through the writing style of John in the book of Revelation, we see that something has occurred and the church disappears from the pages of the book of Revelation until chapter 19 and 20. So something has happened. A prominent theme disappears, right? Like if if you guys all went to Star Wars and you're watching Luke Skywalker and he's in every scene for the first 15 minutes and then Luke's gone and you just go on with the story as though nothing happened, aren't you going to wonder, where's Luke? So it's the same thing as as occurred in the writing style of John in the book of Revelation. We've church, 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 gone. And it's written that way so that we can see something has occurred. We also know 1 Corinthians chapter 15, uh, verse 50, is another foundational scripture from which we understand uh, the rapture. It says, Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does corruption inherit incorruption. Behold... I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep. Now keep this in mind. Whenever the Bible talks about a mystery, a mystery in the Bible is something that we haven't seen before. In the Old Testament, there's not a a teaching on this concept. There are pictures, illustrations, shadows of a reality that we'll see taught in the New Testament. But Paul is saying, this is a mystery. Let me tell you the mystery. The mystery is we're not all going to die. Everyone's not going to die. 
it says, but we all shall be changed. That word but means in contrast, in strong contrast to the reality that I just told you we're not all going to die, but we absolutely are all going to be changed. We're all going to be changed. Look what he says. Uh, In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. So he's saying, man, in in a second, in a small fraction of time, everything the way we know it, is radically going to change. And it's interesting, a lot of people stumble over the concept of the last trumpet. But here's one of the challenges, guys, when we come to the Word of God. you gotta, you got to interpret the Word of God based on those who received it. I can't come in the 21st century and plug into that and say, this is what that means. i got to say, what would they understand last trumpet? Last trumpet. You know, the trumpet was used to gather the children of Israel all the time, just like it is in the army. Just like it is in the Marine Corps. <clears throat> well, I knew what time I needed to be a formation. Yeah? Because of what they played. The trumpet sounds, time ago. I knew when it was time to start marching. How come? Trumpet plays. And you go. So what he's laying out for us is the concept of the last trumpet. The last trumpet was the trumpet they gathered all of the people together. So he says at that last trumpet, not the last time the trumpet's ever blown, but at that signified by that call to gather the people together, when that happens, that's what God's going to do. He's going to gather his people together. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. So the dead will have a new body, as will the living. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality so there's a moment there's a thing a time a frame that uh, that occurs in in a twinkling of an eye in a moment of time when the body of christ is going to be taken to heaven and and i want you to hold on to that picture because if this is true guys there's going to be examples and pictures of it all throughout the word of god and they're not examples that i have to stretch if i have to stretch it Call me on it. Oh, Jackie, that's a stretch. Shouldn't be a stretch. It should be things that we can look at and go, you know what? I can see that reality. So keep that in mind. And we come to Revelation 4.1. After these things, I looked and behold the door standing open in heaven. And the first voice which I heard was like a trumpet. And it said to me, come up here. So what was the last trumpet? The call to gather. To gather, to muster together. So he said, a voice like a trumpet said to me, come on, it's time to gather. Come up here and I will show you things which must take place after these things. So from that moment, the word, the church is gone. We're going to see as we continue through the book of Revelation, we're not done with chapter 4 and 5. I'm just taking a pause for a couple of weeks to try to help us understand what I think is occurring in this moment, which is the rapture of the church. The Bible teaches us that the rapture of the church is our blessed hope, right? It's something we're to hold on to as a hope. Now, please understand this because it is uh, something that is charged against those who look for the rapture. And that is that we're just trying to escape trouble. Think about what Jesus said. He said, in this world you will have... So, that word for tribulation is... 
The Greek word philipsis means a constant pressure. So is that a good way to describe life? Pretty constant pressure. Sometimes a little more, sometimes a little less, but pretty, for the most part, a constant crushing, a constant pressure. Now, when we come to the book of Revelation, we're going to be introduced to another concept. It's called orge. Orge is the wrath of God. Orge is not Philipsis. Philipsis is the reality of a fallen world in which we live, where we will experience tribulation, where we will experience persecution, where things in life will be hard. Is there anybody who, who hasn't come to the realization that that's true in life? Okay, so if it hasn't been that way for you yet, don't worry, what? It will. Just hang, hang tight, it'll come. <clears throat> but, so we know that that's kind of the state. So the Lord says, look, I want my people to know there's a hope. What's my hope? My hope is Jesus Christ. I hope in Him. I don't, I, I, if I want to escape anywhere I want to escape in Christ, I, I would be foolish to say, Mo, I just want to suffer more. I guess there are people like that. I'm not one of them. Yeah, I, I don't. If you're one of them, come over to my house. I'll get a hammer and smack you on the knuckles. I don't know. <clears throat> we'll see how long the day you, you want to do that for. The reality is, we don't. what do I want? I want Jesus Christ. I want to see him. What do I want to hear more than anything else? Well done, good and faithful servant, right? Isn't that what we want? Isn't that the experience? You know, everyone who's a believer in Jesus Christ, will have a personal experience before our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Man, that's an incredible hope that we want to hold on to. Well, here's what he tells in Titus chapter 2, verse 11. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to how many? All men. Teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, and righteously and godly when? Now, in the present age, right? That should be our attitude. Looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, just as a side note, that sentence utilizes in Greek what is called the Granville Sharp Rule, which means both of those descriptions are of Jesus Christ. He is both our great God and our Savior. There's no other way to take it. It's a, it's a rule in Greek that is established right here. Our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who did what? He gave Himself for us. For what purpose? That He might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for whom? Himself. So He's purifying for Himself his own special people, zealous for good works. What is that group of people called? That's the church. The bride of Christ. The body of Christ. So, Jesus Christ, through his death, burial, and resurrection, took upon himself the wrath of God for you and I. When people say, what are we saved from? The reality is we are saved from the wrath of God. He purged our sin. 
And he gave us righteousness. We didn't do nothing special to get it. He gave it to us. Right? We put on Jesus Christ. We put on that cloak. We put on his righteousness. And we become his own special people. Are you with me so far? So let's hold on to that concept as we work our way through. Philippians chapter 3. Again, Paul writes this. Our citizenship is where? In heaven. In heaven. A long time ago, I swore to defend the United States of America against all enemies, foreign and domestic. Now, there's never a ceremony when you get out of the Marine Corps where that's taken away. So, that swearing uh, still stands. That's, That's something I swore that I would always do for this nation. But I do this for this nation. I love this nation. I want to serve this nation and my community because I'm a part. This is where God has planted me and I'm supposed to bloom where I'm planted. But my citizenship is in heaven. I pledge allegiance to the United States, but I don't worship her. And she's not worthy of that anyway. Unless you haven't spent any time looking at her. She's having it rough, right? So what is it that God calls us to do as his own special people? What did he tell the nation of Israel to do when they find themselves caught up in their sin? What does he say? He says, he says not if that nation will pray. What's he say? If my people will humble themselves and pray. If my people will repent. If my people will call on my name, then I'll heal what? Their land. Well, it's not them out there that got to get their act together, folks. The unsaved people act like unsaved people. That's, that, you're supposed to expect that. The people who got to get their act together are in these four walls. They gather together in buildings across this land called the church that are supposed to be his own special people that are willing to do what God told his own special people, the nation of Israel, to do, which is what? Repent. Bow the knee. Pray, ask God to bless and to move amongst us again. It's not going to happen out there. It's going to happen in here, if it's going to happen at all. It's going to happen in the house of God. Where does judgment begin? In the house of God. That's where it starts, that's where it needs to start, that's what we need. So our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior. Is that true? Because what God's word says is we're to eagerly wait for our Savior. Now, if I say to you, I'm eagerly waiting for my Savior, but he's not going to come right now. Am I really eagerly waiting? Am I eagerly waiting for my Savior if I project out there somewhere that after a series of events, this will happen and then my Savior will come? Or maybe I'll die today. But that's hard to use as a comfort, isn't it? Man, I might get hit by a bus. I might go around the corner and a bomb go off and blow me up. Be exciting. I'll, 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 the good side is I'll get to see Jesus, right? Absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. I'll get to look into his eyes. But he says in Philippians chapter 3, hey, we are to eagerly wait for the Savior, our Lord Jesus Christ, who does what? Who will transform what? Our lowly body, that it may be conformed to his glorious body. You see all these scriptures are talking about the same thing? That we're going to be changed in the blinking of an eye. That we're going to be called to Christ. 
that He's going to accomplish His work, that this is something that is a blessed hope for His church, that this is something that we're to eagerly wait for, that we're to eagerly look for. So this is what God is calling us to, that we might understand. So He's going to transform our body, conform it to His, according to the working by which He is able even to subdue all things to Himself. He is King of it all, right? He's king of it all and sovereign over it all. Last time we talked about 1 John 3, 1 through 3. This is, now what do I do with that? If that's all true, and that event is what is my blessed hope, and I'm eagerly waiting, then, then how should I live? By what manner of love the Father has given us that we should be called the children of God. Now last time we talked about what do we used to be called? According to Ephesians chapter 1 and 2. Children of wrath. But now we're, what? Children of God. Was it something we did? No, it's, it's something we received, right? Jesus Christ did a work, extended to us grace and mercy. We laid hold of it. We, we, we just took the gift that He gives us. He bestowed us with His righteousness. And we became children of God rather than children of wrath. That's an important thing to understand. So he says, how much love he has given us that we should be called the children of God. Therefore, the world doesn't know us because it didn't know him. Beloved, now we are the children of God. It's not something we're going to be. He gives it to you now. You are his children. And it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. What are we going to look like that moment we get get translated? We come and stand before God. What's our body going to be like? We're going to be young or old. We're going to be thin or fat. I know everybody has their opinions. Who knows? We don't know, right? There's nothing in the scripture that tells us how we will be. So what does he say? We don't yet know what we'll be like, but here's what we know. It has not been revealed what we shall be, but we know that when he is revealed, what's it say? We will be like him. Same thing we're told in Philippians. Same thing that Titus alludes to. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 talks about. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. That we're going to be like him. That's a great hope, right? I'm more than happy to trade in the old bum knee. Anybody got a trick knee? I got a trick knee. I got a trick knee. It, uh, it will do this clunky thing and stays in whatever shape it's in at that moment until I want to grip my teeth and unclunk it. You guys know what that's like? Unclunk it. Then, then I get one more clunk. I had uh, surgery on my shoulder several years ago, and the kids in the weight room used to crack up. I'd, I'd bring them over, and I'd have them lay their head on my shoulder, and I'd move it. And it literally squeaks like a hinge on a door. And you can hear it go, brr, brr, and the kids would all trip out. Oh, what do you do for that? Oh, I'll tell you. I keep moving it until something went snap, and now it doesn't do it anymore. So whatever is squeaking, broke now, and I don't have to worry. But I'm ready for something new. I'm ready to to trade this in. And look, I want to live this life so I wear this thing out. Because, might as well, right? I want to wear this thing out because there's a new body that I'll have when I see Jesus face to face. So this is the blessed hope of the believer. This is the blessed hope given to the church. It's not a blessed hope that was given to Israel. 
when we talk about prophetically, I just want you to understand that the foundation for what we understand prophetically concerning Israel and the church is taken out of Daniel chapter 9. And Daniel chapter 9 tells us that 70 weeks are determined for your people and your holy city. And when we look at those 70 weeks, we know 69 of those weeks have been fulfilled. Which leaves how much time? One week. Seven years. One week left to be fulfilled. There was a pause. During that pause, a lot of things happened. Jesus Christ was crucified. Jesus Christ was risen from the dead. The church was given birth to and... The time of the Gentiles is going to continue until the church is gathered together with the Lord. And what are we going to see? Once again, God's attention turned toward the last 70 weeks. Seven years are determined for your people and your holy city. To Daniel, the context of Daniel chapter 9 is Israel, period. Not the church. Israel, period. So let's take a look at a few things. I want to I talk about some examples. Are there examples in the Old Testament of events that look like this concept we talk about that's the, the Greek word harpazo, which is someone being caught up. Someone being caught up. There any, can, you, can we think of any of those in the Old Testament? There ought to be two come to mind right away, right? Yeah, it ought to be two right away. First one's in the book of Genesis. And you don't have to go too far in the book of Genesis. Just got to go to chapter 5. Chapter 5 of Genesis, we're introduced to a guy named Enoch. Enoch. And this is what it says in Genesis 5.24. And Enoch walked with God and was not because God did what? Took him. Enoch did not die. Enoch vanished. Chapter 5, Enoch, we see very... Now, this is in Hebrew, not Greek, so I can't compare the words, but we can compare the concept, can't we? There he was, walking with God, doing his thing, living his life, having children, having a family. He's 365 years old, I think. We're going to take a look at at that section of Scripture in a moment. And then, (coughs) he was not. That's a pretty good picture, I think. Interesting is the placement in the book of Genesis, right? Genesis chapter 5, verse 24. His son is Methuselah, which means uh, uh, his death will bring. And when Methuselah died, what occurred? The judgment of God upon the world. In what form? A flood. Interesting, right? Interesting. Enoch disappears. Next chapter, we have the flood. Hebrews 11.5 says... By faith, Enoch was taken away so that he did not see death, and was not found because God had taken him. For before he had taken, he had this testimony, that he pleased God. According to Hebrews chapter 11, there's only one way we can please God. What is it? It is impossible to please God except by faith. Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him righteousness. How are we saved? We're saved by Faith. Okay, so we see this reality, of just a, a faint picture painted, <laughs> Enoch, who didn't die. There's another fellow in the Old Testament who didn't die. What's his name? Elijah. Yeah? We, we, we've seen that story, right? Elijah in 2 Kings 2.11, it says, Then it happened, as they continued on and talked, a chariot of fire appeared with horses of fire, separated the two of them, 
And Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. Now oftentimes we picture this as Elijah jumping in the back of a chariot and flying off into heaven. Is that what the text said? It said a chariot of fire came down and separated them. And Elijah went up where? In the whirlwind. In the whirlwind, Elijah is taken up. But amazingly, it's similar, right, to what we're talking about? Where it's similar to someone who didn't die and was taken to heaven. Agreed? All right, well, let's look in the New Testament. In the New Testament, well, let's look at, <clears throat> let's look at a couple of Old Testament hints first. Just hints, not pictures, just verses that make me go, hmm, when I read them. Okay? Isaiah 26, 20 and 21 says this, Come, my people, and enter your chamber, and shut the doors behind you. Hide yourself, as it were, for a little moment, until the indignation is past. Now, please understand, this verse is not talking about the rapture. This is God speaking to the children of Israel about the reality that he was going to keep them apart from an indignation, a judgment that was going to come that God would protect his remnant. How was he going to do it? He pictures it to us like separating them from the issue and keeping them somewhere safe. Just a hint. You get what I'm saying? Just a hint of a reality. For behold, the Lord comes out of his place to punish the inhabitants of the earth for their iniquity. The earth also will disclose her blood and will no more cover her slain. So we have this example. Zephaniah chapter 2. Verse 2 and 3 says, Before the decree is issued, or the day passes like chaff, before the Lord's fierce anger comes upon you, before the day of the Lord's anger comes upon you, seek the Lord, all you meek of the earth, who have upheld His justice. Seek righteousness, seek humility. It may be that you will be hidden in the day of the Lord's anger. Again, God's talking to the nation of Israel. It's not a verse about the rapture. I'm just saying it hints the idea. It hints the idea of what? That God knows how to spare the righteous and judge the wicked. Yeah? We're going to see that all throughout Scripture. That concept that God knows how to spare the, not spare the righteous from Philipsis. Right? We all agree we experience the lipsis. We experience the crushing of this world. The pressure in this world we live in. What is it that he's sparing us from? His orge. His wrath. His wrath. He's telling his people he can spare them from his wrath. Okay, let's look at New Testament examples of this idea. Being caught up. Being caught up. These New Testament examples, listen, use the same word. Same word we're talking about in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. In Acts 8, verse 39, speaking of Philip. Now when they had come up out of the water. Remember when Philip was, met the Ethiopian eunuch along the desert road? It says, when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord caught Philip away. What are you going to do with that? Same word, harpazo. What do you do? He plucked Philip right out of the midst as he's baptizing the Ethiopian eunuch. They come up out of the water, and what happens? Philip's gone. And God took him to another place, and that's where he began to minister then. That's what the verse tells us. So the Ethiopian eunuch saw him no more and went on his way doing what? Rejoicing. Rejoicing. What did it mean? 
It meant that he was caught up and taken away. He wasn't taken to heaven, but he was caught up and taken away. Same exact word, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Only here, when we read about it with Philip, he's translated from one place to another place on earth. When we read 1 Thessalonians 4, we meet the Lord where? In the air. That's not another place on earth, right? (laughs) So, hopefully we're able to fly or he can keep us. Because if he lets go of us up there in the heavens, it could be bad. So what do we see? We see this same word. What about Paul? Same exact word. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 2 through 4. Paul says, I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago, whether in the body I do not know, whether out of the body I do not know, God knows, such a one was, look at the phrase, caught up to the third heaven. Same word. Caught up. What's Paul talking about? There was a moment in Paul's ministry where he was caught up into heaven. Where he was caught up into heaven. And when he, he says, when he was there, he says, whether in the body or out of the body, I don't know, God knows, how he was caught up into paradise and he heard inexpressible words which it is not lawful for men to utter. He didn't say he saw things he couldn't say. What did he say? I heard things I can't talk about. I heard things I can't talk about. But what did, what's the word he used? He says, I was caught up. I was here one second, and bam, I was there. I was there in the third heaven, the presence of God. Same word, Paul speaking of his experience. Shoot. That's the definition. So the definition of third heaven is the place of God. First heaven is where the birds fly. Second heaven is where the stars are, the planets, and the third heaven is the presence of God. So that's where that, that's where that concept comes from. We also see the same thing in John. We just looked at it a moment ago, Revelation 4.1, right? A voice in heaven says, come up here. Where's John going to be through the rest of the book? In heaven. He's going to be in heaven, <laughs> seeing the things that will take place after this. <clears throat> now, some of you might say this next one's a stretch, Jackie, you're stretching, but st- bear with me to the last verse, and maybe I-, I can help that make sense. The next one that we see as an example of this word is the ascension of our Lord Jesus Christ. In Mark sixteen nineteen, it says, So then, after the Lord had spoken to them, he was received up into heaven, and he sat down at the right hand of God. Jesus' ascension, right? When he was done here, where did he go? Went to heaven, right? Went to heaven. Acts. Chapter 1, verse 9 through 11. It says, When he had spoken these things, while they watched, he was taken up. And a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven, as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel. And they said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. So, I think the ascension is a picture. But those two verses aren't the ones that I'm going to point to for it. I just want you to remember the concept, right? The ascension, Jesus goes into heaven. The one I want to point to for it that uses the same word is Revelation 12, 5. Revelation 12, 5 is a picture we're going to get to in Revelation 12 of a woman who gives birth to a child. 
And the picture is being painted as the nation of Israel is the woman. She gives birth to a child. The child is Jesus. The dragon is waiting to eat up the child as soon as he's born. But he's not able to. Because that child is caught up into heaven. Now, we know that this occurred in the life of Christ and at the ascension. But just pause for a moment and consider the picture. Who's the body of Christ? In Revelation chapter 12, we're told that the devil is cast out of heaven. He has great wrath because he knows his time is short. And he's looking to devour whom? The children of the woman. He went to devour the body of Christ. And the body of Christ was caught up into heaven. Just like we see Jesus go, we see this picture. Um, So she bore a male child who was to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. And her child was caught up to God and to his throne. So I think what we see there, and we'll talk about it more when we get to chapter 12. The body of Christ or the church is being represented by the uh, body of Christ in in Revelation chapter 12. So we'll talk about that some more as we get there. The other example we see in the New Testament is the two witnesses. We know the story of the two witnesses. There in Revelation chapter 11, it says, And I will give power to my two witnesses, and they will prophesy 1,260 days clothed in sackcloth. So you have two witnesses. I believe we're looking at uh, Moshe and Elijah. Elijah and Moses, the two guys who were with Jesus to the Mount of Transfiguration. You can believe it's Enoch and Elijah. It's okay. I don't mind. If you want to be wrong, it's okay. But the <laughs> uh, Bible doesn't tell us who they are. So we have these two witnesses, and they're going to do incredible work, right? And nobody's going to be able to touch them. People are going to try to wipe them out, but they can't do it. The Bible says fire will proceed out of their mouth and swallow the people who try to harm them. But the Antichrist is going to come down. And when the Antichrist comes down, he's going to kill these two witnesses. Look at verse 11 through 12. Revelation 11, 11 through 12. Now, after the three and a half days, they're going to lay in the ground three and a half days. The breath of life from God will enter the two witnesses. They stood on their feet and great fear fell on those who saw them. And they heard a loud voice from heaven that said, Come up here. And they ascended into heaven in a cloud, and their enemies saw them go. So the two witnesses will be slain by the Antichrist. They'll lay in the streets dead. The people will exchange gifts and celebrate because the two witnesses are finally gone. And then after three and a half days, they're going to stand up, and they're going to ascend up into heaven. Similar situation, <clears throat> similar wording, definitely similar picture. But here's what I want us to grasp. If there is a New Testament mystery, there will be an Old Testament picture. In other words, a mystery is something that wasn't quite explained, but it was there in the shadows if you look. It was there in the shadows, if you look. So I want to just talk about a little bit about this. Old Testament pictures of a New Testament reality. In Luke 17, Jesus, at the Olivet Discourse, he says this. As it was in the days of Noah, 
so shall it be with the Son of Man. Right? What's he telling us? When, when the Son of Man, when we get to the end of days, it's going to be like it was in the time of Noah. Remember what it was like in the time of Noah? <clears throat> Crazy time, right? It says they drank, they married wives, they were given in marriage until the day Noah entered the ark, the flood came and destroyed them all. And then he gives another example. Likewise, as it was in the days of Lot, they ate, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, they built. Here's the concept that we see in the Old Testament. It's told us in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 9, very important verse. It says that we are not appointed to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. We are not appointed to wrath. Who bore our wrath? If you're a believer, who bore your wrath? Jesus bore the wrath. So you don't get it. You may suffer thalipsis, persecution, pressure. You may go in the pressure cooker. You may suffer horrifically. But it won't be the wrath of God. It will not be, it cannot be, the wrath of God that we will suffer. So God is able to deliver the righteous from His wrath. And that's the picture we see in the Old Testament. We look back. Let's back up to the flood in Enoch. Genesis chapter 5. Let's look at this story of Enoch. It says, Enoch lived 65 years and begot Methuselah. And after he begot Methuselah, Enoch walked with God. Nothing will get you to walk like God like having kids. Right? So after he's 65 years old, he has a child. He names his child Methuselah. And he begins walking with the Lord. It says, Enoch walked with God 300 years, and he had other sons and daughters. So all the days of Enoch were 365 years, and Enoch walked with God and was not, for God took him. Now you're still 900 years from the flood. The time span between the, the catching up of Enoch and the occurrence of the flood is irrelevant. What is relevant is God knows how to deliver the righteous from his wrath. And when we look <clears throat> at the picture of the flood, it provides even more because Noah and his children who would represent the nation of Israel are preserved how? In an ark through the flood, which is exactly what God's going to do with Israel through the tribulation period. He's going to take the children of Israel and preserve them. How? Through 144,000, 12,000 of each of the 12 tribes of Israel. We're going to look at them, and we're going to see God's going to have a remnant that survives, what? His wrath poured out on a Christ-rejecting world. God took Enoch out, and then the flood would come. The next example that we see in the page of Scripture that was given to us in the Olivet Discourse by Jesus was the example of Lot, right? So we all remember the story. Abraham's kicking back at home. <clears throat> he sees some travelers. He doesn't know yet, but it's God and two angels. He goes out and begins to talk with them. You remember the story? This is the, the, the famous intercession of Abraham where God says to his angels, Should we tell Abraham what we're doing? And so they tell him, We're going to go destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. Who was living in Sodom and Gomorrah at the time? Lot and his family, right? So, 
Abraham asks a very important question. Will you destroy the righteous with the wicked? Right? And what did God say? No. I won't destroy the righteous with the wicked. Well, what if there's only 50? Remember? 40, 30, 20, 10. What if there's only 10? For the sake of 10, he says, I won't destroy the city. For the sake of ten. And I'm sure Abraham's trying to count up Lot and his family and figuring there's got to be ten of them there, right? So in the story, the angels go and they, they visit Lot. And it's a wicked place, right? The men of the city want to take the two angels. Lot tries to appease them with his two daughters, which, you know, doesn't make him father of the year, right? Lot tries to appease the people. Finally, the angels strike them with blindness. You remember what the scripture says they spent the rest of the night doing? They spent the rest of the night trying to still find the door. It didn't stop them. It just made it so they couldn't see what they were doing. Now what happens next is the part that we want to look at. The part that we want to see. What happens? It says that while he lingered, Lot... The men, the angels, took hold of his hand, his wife's hand, the hands of his two daughters, the Lord being merciful to him, and they brought him out and set him outside the city. He stalled, he wasn't ready, he wouldn't go, he wasn't going fast enough, so what happened? The angels grabbed him, and they drug him outside the city. Now why'd they do that? Well, all we have to do is look at Genesis 19.22. The angels say to him, hurry, escape there. For I, listen, for I cannot do anything until you arrive there. So they call the name of that city Zoar. Lot said, can I go stay in Zoar? I don't don't just want to, can I just go over there? Yeah, go, but I can't do anything. Listen, I can't do anything until you're out of here. And when Lot was out of there, what happened? Fire from heaven rained down on a city. Orge. And the cities were destroyed. But what did God do first? He removed Lot. And you and I would go, Man, Lot wasn't all that great a guy. Not father of the year. Right? I don't know that I would necessarily call him righteous, but do you know that the Bible does? The Bible calls him righteous. Why? How are we made righteous? Because of our righteous deeds? How are we made righteous? By what? By faith, right? We believe God and it was accounted to Abraham, Lot, everyone who has ever been saved has been saved by faith. And the righteousness that they have is a gift from God to them. And that is a great picture, right? A great picture of the concept that we'll talk about next week, which is the rapture we'll finish it up next week and then we'll move on through revelation four and five so as we look next time we're going to talk about the doctrine of imminency and why that matters so that's where me and john will disagree if you want to see the disagreement you got to show up because so far he don't disagree with me yet see so we're okay so far We're okay, but I've told John for seven years, it's okay if he wants to be wrong. I don't mind. And he will even tell you he hopes he's wrong. So that's okay, too. (laughs) So as we look at it, 
hopefully I'm, I'll help pr- uh, provide for him where that concept comes. But here's the important thing for us to see here. It doesn't divide us, right? Me and John are brothers, no matter what. If I'm right, I'll explain it to him on the way up. <laughs> if he's right, I told him, I, I, I will feel free to change my view and whenever I need to as we go forward. But this is what I think the Bible teaches, and so that's, that's what we're going to take a look at. So we'll look at that next time, take a look at it. But please, I hope it challenges you. Look at the pictures, look at the examples, look at the scenes, the shadow, the foreshadowing that has taken place earlier throughout the Word. And next week, we'll button it up. Amen? Why don't you stay on me? Let's pray.